Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for the ways in which you are working uh, wherever we find ourselves as we sit on our couches or dining room tables. Uh, you're meeting us there. Um, your Holy Spirit is able to penetrate through all the chaos, all the heartache, all the confusion, and meet us right where we are, feel what we're feeling, and love us through it. Help us, Lord. Meet us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Friends, it's good to be in worship with you. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Joe. It's been a couple weeks since I've had a chance to, uh, to hang out with you in this uh, digital format. We are uh, hanging out today at our location at CA Backspace, and uh, we've got the whole crew here, exactly 10 people, all uh, appropriately distanced, and uh, uh, we're trying to do the best we can to worship, to create an experience that you can worship God and where we can uh, um, be together. And so uh, glad that, to have you join us. If you're a guest with us, we want to extend a special welcome. Welcome. We'd love to give you a gift, uh, mail it to you. Uh, you just go to our website, uh, centralcity.co slash connect, and uh, we will, uh, we'll, there's a form there. You can fill it out, and we'd love to connect with you. Um, this is such a strange time we live in. Uh, connecting with people, um, you know, three, four months ago meant something completely different than it means now, and um, I recognize that, uh, but we'd love to send you an email. Uh, we'd love to uh, meet you in that way and uh, help you learn more about who we are and who we hope to be as people who are striving to follow after Jesus. So a special welcome to our guests. Uh, one announcement I want to let you know, um, if you're interested, we are starting to ramp up some of the ways we're doing production, trying to figure out how to do church online as we also try to wrestle with what it's going to look like opening up. Um, and we're constantly listening to uh, what our uh, both our leaders in the church, uh, what other churches are doing, reading and, and following best practices, as well as conversations uh, from the Department of Health, et cetera. And uh, so one of the things we know we need to figure out uh, before we even figure out uh, creating space for us to gather in the future is, is being able to do live stream well. And so we're, we're constantly tweaking that. And uh, one of the things we're doing right now is what you see today. So if you're interested in being a part of that, uh, we are uh, willing to uh, uh, free training to anyone who wants to learn how to use a camera or a computer. We've got some great volunteers, and uh, I'm sure that eventually one of them is going to want a week off. So if you're interested in that, please let me know. You can email me, joe at centralcity.co, and uh, we'd love to get you on ramp to that. It's really available to anyone who wants to learn, who's interested in learning. Uh, we'll teach you in, in an appropriate way, and uh, we'll, we'll do that. I do want to take a second um, before we get into continue on in worship um, to address what's happening um, in our country and what's happening uh, in our city. Yesterday, a statement was released by one of our bishops. So we're a United Methodist Church. Uh, there's a number of bishops that preside over various geographic regions. One of our bishops, of course, presides over uh, Minneapolis as well as uh, into the Dakotas, uh, Bishop O. And um, fun fact, he was a bishop here before he went there and uh, was the bishop um, under which I was originally appointed. Uh, so I've gotten to meet him, but he's now serving over there, and he uh, released a statement. Um, I'm going to read a couple uh, sections regarding what's, what happened in Minneapolis, and, and this is what he said. He said, there is more than one pandemic ravaging Minnesota and our country at this time. In addition to fighting COVID-19, we are besieged by a pandemic of racism, white supremacy, and white on black or brown violence. The tragic... Uh, racially charged and unnecessary death of George Floyd at the hands of four Minneapolis police officers is only the latest flare-up of this pandemic. 
And Mr. Floyd is only the latest victim. The list of black lives who have been needlessly killed grows each day. The pervasive culture of racism and white supremacy increasingly incited by political rhetoric grows each day. The fear among uh, parents of black children grows each day. The flaunting of our laws against racial profiling and discrimination grows each day. He says a number of other things, and then near the end he says this. He says, let us not turn away or ignore the disease that has been tearing our country apart and destroying the lives uh, for century. Destroying lives for century. This disease, the sin of racism and white supremacy, denies the teachings of Jesus and our common created humanity. Let us renew our efforts to eradicate the disease that truly threatens uh, our uh, ideals and the lives livelihoods, and dignity of so many of our neighbors. MLK, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. is credited of saying, a riot is the language of the unheard. A riot is the language of the unheard. The, the phrase has made its way around social media the last couple of days, and I know that there are layers at play, especially relating to riots that are happening right here and tearing apart parts of our city and the rest of the country. Alyssa and I, last night, uh, where we live in Franklinton, near downtown, looked out our window and saw smoke rising from the city center. And I, I recognize that some might be using uh, this time in these protests to accomplish their own insidious goals, and conspiracy theories have already begun to sprung up and make their rounds, and that's fine, whatever. But I think MLK's uh, words, uh, what he has to say remains the same. Those I know uh, who went to the streets uh, to, to join our uh, black brothers and sisters did so to give voice uh, to those who feel that they've been unheard for too long. My friends and neighbors and members of our church who went to the streets peacefully to give voice, they did so to give voice to the voiceless, and uh, they were met with pepper spray, and, and that bothers me, as all of this does. Of course, there's others I know, even people who are in our church, who are members of our community. Uh, one who comes to mind who's a Columbus police officer and who was on duty and was assigned to uh, show up to these various protests. And um, who's concerned, I'm sure, a, a young dad of a little girl and goes out not knowing what's going to happen and also just I, has told me, just wishes people would just sit down and listen to each other and try to understand each other. As a pastor, I concern myself with both, those who head out with signs and those who head out with badges, but as a pastor, I want to lay aside the individual story and address the bigger story for just a moment. Uh, I need to say this, and, and you're not going to like it, and it might not feel very pastoral. Uh, you might not want to talk to me for a couple weeks, and you're in luck because we probably won't run into each other. Um, so that's okay. But um, it's not meant to be encouraging. I became a pastor because I believe the world should change. You know, I, I knew at the earliest age of preteen that the world wasn't what it should be, that there was brokenness and inequality and pain, and these play out in significant ways in the lives of those who are often marginalized or, 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 or experience economic disparity, and it's amplified even more by the racialization of our society. And these aren't just buzzwords that I'm throwing out because they sound intelligent. These are things that I've wrestled with and I think we need to wrestle with together as well. I know the world needs to change. It's the one thing most people agree on is that the world is not as it should be. Now, some will say that we should just go back to the way things were, and I say no. Backwards means losing the progress that we've made uh, since the time of segregation, and even if we go back even further to the time of slavery. No, I don't think we should go back. Um, I, I think we need to move forward. And others will say, well, things are good enough as they are. There's no need for further change. We've changed enough already. And I say no to this as well. Things are not good enough, and, and my prayer is that 
the things that have happened this week, the, even the things that I don't fully understand or appreciate, that if nothing else, they force us and the rest of the country to recognize the simple truth that things should not remain as they are. And we know, because of everything that's happened with COVID and the pandemic, that things can change. Our lives can experience a paradigm shift, and in this area, we certainly need it. There should be greater justice, there should be greater equality, and there should be greater repentance. Here's the part you won't like. Uh, I didn't even get to the part you don't like yet. Here's the part you won't like, and I, and I say this carefully. This isn't going to happen simply by loving your neighbor. And that's a bold statement. It's meant to shock. It's, it's supposed to make you uncomfortable, but it's not going to happen simply by loving your neighbor. Don't, under, don't misunderstand me. Loving your neighbor is important. That's where we start. But here's the thing. When I think of people in our community, you already do that really well. If you didn't do that well, we'd start there. We'd say, hey, you really need to love the person in front of you. You know that already. You do it well. You, the people who are a part of our community, the ones that I've met, the people I'm in relationship with, you do this so well. Our community is some of the most loving, intelligent, respectful, polite, kind people I've ever met. You do it well already. So that's a given. That's where we start. We, but here's the thing I want you to hear. It won't end there. Change won't happen simply because we started loving our neighbors. And while it's essential and where it, where it all begins, it isn't where it ends. It's just the beginning. It won't be enough. You still uh, need to do it, but it won't fix everything. Think about it this way. Claiming this is the answer, we should just love our neighbors, would be like a Christian during the time of American slavery standing up and addressing a room of abolitionists saying, we don't need to free the slaves, we just need to teach the masters to love them better. Those aren't the same thing. One conversation is about personal piety. And that's important. The other one is about systemic change. And we've talked about personal piety enough already. That's, that's not going to be enough. We need systemic change. Uh, a friend just shared this on Facebook this morning. I added it to my remarks. It says, uh, from a book that I haven't read, but it's been recommended to me in a variety of ways uh, called White Fragility. Um, it says, racism is a structure, not an event. It occurs when a racial group's prejudice is backed by legal authority and institutional control. Our system was built on laws that give privilege to some and make life harder for others. Slow changes have been made to usurp these laws and, and to make them reflect our true American spirit of uh, what it means to pursue life and liberty and, and happiness. But, but we have not arrived. When it comes to health care, uh, education, job opportunity, the criminal justice system, um, these are just to name a few. The odds are stacked against our brothers and sisters, even those in our faith who share the same love and worship for the person of Jesus Christ, is stacked against those who are people of color. Let me give you an example that will be close to home for many of us. Education in America is available to everyone. But a good education is only available, um, a good education, a really great education, is only available really to those who, one, can afford to purchase the right home in the right neighborhood, or two, afford a private school, which means education, as one example, is positioned to benefit those who can afford it and exclude those who can't. And numerous studies can show you the importance of education at a young age and the ways in which it can help break generational uh, issues like generational poverty, et cetera. And I want to lose you. What I say is this. When I say change won't come from simply loving your neighbors, but comes from systemic change, I mean this. It's not like those who benefit. Um, it's not until those who benefit from a system like this, like our education system, that choose to lead the charge to change it, will real change happen? Think about it like this. Would you be willing for your child to be in a different school system, 
to change the way we fund our entire education system, which might mean for some kids their education becomes much better. For your kid, it might equal out and become a little less. This is something I've wrestled with right now, and I share it for this reason. We're looking at preschool for Finn, and the school he's assigned to is an F-rated school in the Columbus school system. So we're engaging the lottery system as good parents and looking for a Columbus school just as close that has a little bit better rating, although there's no Columbus schools that have an A rating. And so we wrestle with this. I don't want my child to go to the school that's just designated for him based on my address, and so I'm trying to find him a different school. Because there's something in me as a parent that, oh, I don't want to mess up my kid. I want him to have the best opportunity possible. And if that means leveraging my own privilege to do that, I'm very motivated to. That's an unfair question, and it's a hard question to pose. But here's what I want you to hear. If you want change to happen, like I do, these are the kinds of questions and issues we have to wrestle with. What, if, what I know is this, is that if riots really are the language of the unheard, then we need to figure out, what have we missed? What has gone unheard, and, and how have I benefited from the fact that it isn't being addressed, it's not being talked about, and there's no plan to change it? You might disagree with some of my assumptions, and I'm sure I'm wrong in many ways, but I think most of you will agree with me when I say this. Things won't change simply because we're going to be nice to the person in front of us. We have to do more. And it's going to cost us. And if it's not costing us, then I'm going to say this with a fair amount of confidence. It's not the kind of change our country needs. I challenge you to reflect on that. Our friend uh, Ryan, worship leader, is going to share a song. And, and I don't want to over, gloss over the fact that loving our neighbor is where it all starts. But if we truly want to love our neighbor, if love is going to be our deciding factor, then we have to be willing to love to the point of sacrifice. I don't know exactly what that looks like. But I know it's going to cost us more than we realize. So I invite you to spend some time in the next couple moments to reflect, to pray, and to listen. Let's pray. Um, God, we come before you and we give you thanks. Lord, as you challenge us, as you convict us, speak to us. Help us to understand. Holy Spirit, come and minister to us. Work in our hearts and our minds. In your name, amen. Friends, if you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central City Church, you can do that. Uh, information will be on the screen for a little bit. Uh, but I really encourage you during this time to uh, spend some time and reflect on the role you can play in bringing about change in this world. If there was ever a time to do it, it's now.
words meant to hurt aren't easily unheard and stones that are thrown how easily they break our bones yet love will overcome Yes, love oh, will overcome. There's a bright side on the dark side of every soul. Every heart can find its rhythm. Every life can be made whole. All it takes is love. All it takes is love. Yes, love will overcome. Yes, love will overcome. Today is Pentecost Sunday, a day historically marked as the creation of the church, the gathered body of Christ. This day, we are not gathered in person, rather we are scattered in presence, in thought, in perspective, in experience, in understanding, and we pray, come Holy Spirit. On this day marked by the unity of hearing God's word in all our own languages, even today we are failing to sift through the many voices to hear God, and we pray, come Holy Spirit. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Alyssa. I'm one of the pastors here at Central City. It's good to be in worship with you, and it's good to have all of these people here, um, all of these people, the 10 of us here, um, gathered together, and it's good to be with you um, in your homes today. Today we are finishing a series called Hidden Figures about women leaders in Scripture. Uh, the, the first New Testament woman I thought of, the last several weeks we've been looking in the Old Testament with Miriam and Deborah and Huldah. Um, and so as we move into the New Testament for this final Sunday in this series, the first New Testament woman I thought of was Lydia. There are so many others, Tabitha, Damaris, Priscilla, Junia, Phoebe, Mary, and others that Paul mentions throughout his letters. But I've always loved the story of Lydia. Paul and others go down to the river to worship, and they find a crowd down there already. Um, and in the crowd is this woman, a leader, an entrepreneur in her community, and a woman who loved God already, most likely Jewish. She heard Paul's message that day, and she believed in Jesus. Her and her entire household were baptized. 
And her response to this new part of her faith journey was generosity and hospitality. She invites Paul and the others to her home to celebrate. You can read about this in um, Acts chapter 16. We don't necessarily have stories of Lydia leading in the church per se, but knowing that she was a community leader and knowing her influence over her household and those in the marketplace, she most likely, as was custom in the early church, began a house church after she was baptized. This is what the fires of Pentecost sparked, a movement A movement centered on Jesus' teaching that every single person, female, male, slave, free, immigrant, patriot, foreigner, elite, poor, educated, uneducated, family, no family, every single person mattered to God. Every single person could belong. Every single person was welcome and every single person would be included, would be heard, would be valued, would be stood up for, and would be loved. The impact of Pentecost is a major paradigm shift from the the male priesthood of the Jewish cult who, who only those who were specified could enter parts of the temple. But this shift changed to this charismatic worship format and gender and person inclusive leadership of the early church. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, when you assemble, each person brings a psalm, they have a teaching or a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. There is no gender distinction made here for participation in worship or for being a worship leader. Even on the day of Pentecost, and we hear it um, this morning as we think about Pentecost, we hear the words of the prophet Joel speaking through Peter. He says in Acts 2, In those days I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy even on my servants both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. What began with Jesus, this ministry of complete inclusion of every single person, black, brown, Roman, Jewish, Samaritan, female, male, child, elderly, married, divorced, every single person was set on fire by the Holy Spirit, which was now enabling every single person who calls on the name of the Lord to be saved and every single person to be used to bring God's kingdom here on earth. Being in a sermon series on women in leadership over the past several weeks, I have felt this tension of wanting to highlight the similarities that women experience with those who experience racism or ableism, heterosexism, I don't want to brush anything off, though, or deal too lightly with any of these other isms. And I don't want you to think that I have the same experience as George Floyd or even Breonna Taylor. I know that being a white woman gives me far greater privilege than any black man or especially black woman. As I've written these sermons and done research over the last couple of weeks, you could mostly interchange a lot of my words about women's experience with people of color or with people with disabilities or different abilities, with any group that is being oppressed. But after so many deaths of people of color and blatant racism with the virus um, against Asian Americans and so on that we've just, has just been compounding over these last couple of months, 
I feel the need to address that isms are not welcome in the kingdom of God. They weren't welcome on the day of Pentecost, and they're not welcome any other day. Isms like racism, sexism, ableism, heterosexism, ageism, and every other kind of prejudice that we might have against someone that leads to oppression, discrimination, or violence against, it's not welcome in the kingdom of God. We all have biases. We all have prejudices. But Jesus tells us what we should do about it. We don't let the prejudice stay, but we actively work against it. This is for prejudice against women or people of color or people that have different abilities from you. We ask questions. We read or listen or study things that come from people who are different from us. We let competent, qualified Women and people of color and people who are different, we let them lead. We believe people's experiences, whether it's something that we've experienced or not. We listen more than we speak. And we don't get aggressive or try to justify ourselves when we're called out. And we also vote for policies and people that will be equal for all and not oppressive to any. Black men, women, and children are terrified to live in America today because living for them might be dying any day. If you say there isn't enough evidence to suggest that black Americans are targeted by police or hate groups, then it's not that there's not enough evidence. It's that we don't want to see it. When it comes to isms, sexism, racism, ableism, each of us have work to do. Each of us every single day has a responsibility to pray and ask God, search me, O God, and know my thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And I believe that's the first step. Once we do that, once we ask God to search our hearts and to lead us in the way everlasting, then every subsequent step we take will be in line with the greatest commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor. You can't love your neighbor if you belittle them, whether in your heart or with your words. And you can't love God and hate God's children. You might be thinking, I've never killed anyone. I've never harassed a woman, or so on. But hate comes in many forms. Hate is experienced when we don't stand up for someone who is being bullied, harassed, or harmed. Hate is experienced when we ignore those who are different from us. Hate is experienced when we form an opinion without trying to understand all of the sides. The day of Pentecost brought unity among believers. Everyone was able to hear the gospel in their own tongue. And if we have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, even today, we might too experience anew the peace and justice of Jesus Christ. Now, as we've done in this series, um, I have invited a colleague of mine to share about the influence of a woman on his life and his ministry. Spoiler alert, he, uh, he chose his mom, which I thought was great. Also, he's going to talk about me and Joe a little bit, but whatever he says is not true and didn't happen, even though he has pictures about it. But I thought this was great that he chose his mom because we started this series on Mother's Day almost as a tribute to those great mothers and mother-like figures who have taught us and led us well. 
And now we close this series hearing about a mother who really was influential, not just for her children, but for many others. And so as we close this series, just like we began it, we tribute to all those women who have led us, who have cared for us, who have taught us, and who have, who have prayed for us. And we also think and pray about all those mothers who are mourning their children. So I'm going to uh, turn it over to uh, Pastor Paul Reisler from Central Avenue in Athens, Ohio. Well, good morning, Central City. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Paul, and I serve as one of the pastors at Central Avenue Church in Athens, Ohio. Uh, some of you may know that Alyssa and Joe were on staff here uh, when they started Central City Church, and we had the honor of sending them into ministry and being involved uh, in the launch of your community. Uh, I obviously keep up with you on social media and what you're doing, and we are so excited to see what God has been doing in you and through you. Uh, you are an amazing community, and we are humbled to play even a small part of that with you. Uh, also, I want you to know that, in my opinion, you have two of the best pastors in the world. Uh, actually, when Alyssa first asked me to share about a woman who's influenced me, uh, no kidding, uh, I was going to talk about her. Uh, I met Alyssa about a little over 10 years ago when she was part of an internship program, and she was exploring her calling. And we were fortunate enough to have her assigned uh, here to Central in Athens. And she served a summer with us exploring her call. Now, this was back in the day, by the way, when Alyssa hated vegetables. She, had, she just ate raw slabs of meat. It was absolutely terrifying. Uh, but over the past 10 years, I've watched her grow as a pastor and leader, and particularly as an omnivore. And I am honored to have her as a colleague and friend. Uh, I've learned a ton from her, and she has been an influence uh, in my life and ministry over the years. Uh, but instead of Alyssa, I want to talk about another woman who's influenced me. Uh, this woman is not famous. I'm doubting that most of you have ever heard of her. But she was an extreme influence in my life and ministry. Now, if you study leadership, one of the things that you'll often hear is that leadership is more caught than taught. Uh, in other words, you can read all the books you want. You can have formal coaches who ask and answer your questions. They can provide guidance. But as a growing leader, there's nothing that can replace doing life alongside another healthy leader, just watching them in action and being with them, and seeing who they are when they're not up front leading. Because you can impress people and look good at a distance, but to really impact them, you have to be up close up. Close up. So you may teach what you know, but you really reproduce who you are. And as I've gotten older and grown as a pastor and leader and Christian, more and more I'm coming to understand how one leader has shaped uh, possibly me more than anyone else. Uh, she was God's first act of grace to me, and that leader is my mom. I'm sometimes asked why I'm such an advocate for women in ministry and really women in leadership in general. And it's largely because I grew up assuming women could lead and influence as well as men. Uh, honestly, it never dawned on me that it would be any other way. Uh, growing up, both my parents were teachers, but they were very, very different people. Uh, my dad was a super content guy in terms of work. Uh, he taught industrial arts for 35 years in the same school, in the same classroom. He was very happy with that. He never really wanted anything else. 
Uh, as a pastor, I got from him my tendency to see ministry as a slow and steady push in the same direction. My mom, on the other hand, was not that way. She was always discontent with the status quo. She was always growing and always pushing and always changing and always moving, always looking to the next thing. My mom uh, was a leader. Now, I had a small sense at the time, but my mom was a pretty big deal in her day. Uh, she was a teacher for years, but later became the principal of several different, several different schools uh, throughout her career. Uh, she taught graduate level courses in administration. She read and approved grants for the Ohio Department of Education. She spoke at state principals conferences. She worked as an evaluator of entire school districts. She evaluated uh, school programs and curriculum, and she helped build best practices. And she was always pushing kind of the boundaries of convention. One of my favorite stories, back when she was a teacher in fifth grade, she had just gotten a new suit for work. Uh, it was pretty expensive, particularly for my family. We didn't have a lot of money in those days. But my mom always dressed like a professional. But this new suit wasn't just any suit. This was a pants suit. And this was in the day when women wore skirts and not pants. And so my mom walked into school wearing this very professional new pantsuit, feeling like a million bucks. And she started up the steps and she was met by her school principal. And he was standing at the top of the steps, actually blocking her way. And he said to my mom in his low, booming, authoritative voice, I still remember it from when I was a kid. He said, Miss Reisler, stop. Go home and change your clothes. Put on a dress. You can't wear that outfit. Now, understand she's halfway up the steps at this point. And so he's blocking her way and she smiles at him and says, move over, this is my outfit for today and for many days to come. You best go to your office and leave me alone. And she walked right around him and into her classroom. My mom could be kind of feisty. Now, best of all in the story, uh, the next day most of the women teachers wore pants to work. Now, those of you who are younger, maybe less than 40, might not realize how thick the glass ceiling was in those days for women. This was in the 70s, um, and she could be a gathering, at a gathering of school principals and superintendents and be the only female in the room. And sometimes she was the only female in the room and she was one of the speakers to a room full of men. So uh, my mom has a few scars on the top of her head from breaking through the glass ceiling, but she persisted. And it would have been really easy for her to just shut up and let the men lead. But my mom was passionate about education. Uh, she was incredibly smart, still one of the smartest people I know. And I believe that she was called to and gifted for that work. And so she led. In, in, in a world dominated by men in her field, and again, this was a little over 40 years ago, she didn't listen to the people who told her to go home. She used her gifts and she led. By the way, one of the things we see over and over again in Scripture, and I know you're looking at this in the series, is that, that God called women to lead, and it wasn't because there weren't strong men around, right? The women who are leading in Scriptures are doing it in a culture, generally speaking, that saw women as little more than property. Imagine the boldness it would take to lead in some of those situations. And nowhere in Scripture are we given the idea that like, the men are disobedient, and so God's like, well, okay, I'll settle for a woman. Rather, the stories that you've been looking at, at these women who are leading, 
they're doing it because they're called. It's what they're called to do. It's what God asked them to do. It's what they felt compelled to do. And so my mom led, not because there weren't any men around, there were plenty of men, but God had put this gift of leadership in my mom, this passion to make things better, to improve the lives of kids. And really, uh, I believe the world would have been a whole lot less rich if my mom would have pulled back and denied this leadership gift that she was given. Uh, And I saw it then, but now as an organizational leader myself, I see the tremendous gift her leadership was. It was a gift to her students. It was a gift to her teachers and her staff, the people she supervised. It was a gift to our family, to our community. And it was a gift to her young son who was watching, not knowing that he was being formed and shaped in really profound ways that would come out in the future. So let me just pause and say a word to all of you, but particularly you women who may be watching this, I want to remind you, the world needs your voice. The church needs your voice. Your community, your family needs your voice. Our government needs your voice. And so if you're a person who has a sense of discontent with the way things are, and maybe you feel that God is calling you to lead, then I want to encourage you to lead. Do it with grace, do it with humility, do it depending on God, but lead. Because you won't just impact the present, but your influence will go on for generations and generations beyond that. You never know who's watching you. And without your voice, we, the church, will never become the people that God is calling us to become. You know, uh, Part of Alyssa's hope in doing this series is that you will walk away from it feeling empowered to live into the calling that God has placed in your life. God has made you in his image. God has gifted you and God has called you. And if that's to be a doctor, great. If it's to be a teacher, fantastic. If it's to be a scientist or construction worker or parent or president or pastor, if God is calling you, we want to encourage you to just live into that calling. Uh, But I believe to the core of my being that God continues to gift and call men and women for the work of ministry and for the work of leadership in the local church as well as the leadership of the world. And I'm not even going to try to explain this, but um, if right now you're feeling kind of a quickening in your heart, you know, that very well may be God. Right now, I'm betting that there are people who are hearing these words and and even now you know that God is moving in you and calling you to step into and lead in a certain area. And maybe your gender or your insecurity or your theology has kept you from obedience to that call. And I just want to encourage you to step into it. And Alyssa and Joe would love to talk with you about that and to help you work through that calling. Hey folks, thanks so much for the opportunity to share with you, uh, to tell you about just one of the many women who have influenced my life and ministry. Uh, And I wish you the best. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray God's deepest blessing on you. May the peace of Christ be with you.